I am so excited to have Dr. Scott Hadlin here, a fentanyl expert, addiction specialist, chief of adolescent and young adult medicine at Mass General Hospital for Children and Harvard Medical School. So when I was talking about this conversation with my wife and with friends, because I've been psyched to talk to you, Scott, I'm really excited. Uh, I'm like, I get to talk to a fentanyl expert and an addiction specialist, because I think the big thing for especially college students and teenagers is they don't think this applies to them. Like, do you ever, do, do you get that? Like when you're talking to patients or doing events, you know, like there, this stuff exists in the world, but it's not really dangerous for them. Yeah, it happens all the time. You know, I, um, one thing that we find is that addiction has been so segmented off in our society, right? It, it, it's a stigmatized condition. Um, people and families often distance themselves from loved ones who have struggled with addiction. And so there's this way in which addiction has become this thing that other people suffer from um, or live with, but that we don't. Um, and I think that's created this sort of ethos where just generally speaking, people think that the risk of overdose or the risk of addiction just doesn't apply to them. Yeah, it's it's a it's a huge obstacle because sometimes I'll do uh, I, I do a lot on social media, and one of one of my most popular TikToks last year was, you know, like if you're drinking so much that you're missing class, and you know you you lost your car, or you there was a series of like if you drink so much that this that this happens then you might have a drinking problem. And the response in the comments is always, if you're, it's not a problem until you're out of college. Like, like, like seriously, then, then it gets like 10,000 likes. And, and this idea that it's, it's not a problem. And we're going to talk about fentanyl. That's going to be our, our, our main thing. But I just wanted to, to talk to you about like, when is, when is it a problem? Right. So I, I think that's a great question. So I, I open this by talking about addiction. And we have to acknowledge, of course, that in this era of young people dying from fentanyl overdoses at really an unprecedented rate, there are a lot of young people who use fentanyl either knowingly or unintentionally and don't do it as part of having an addiction. They don't have opioid addiction. They just may be using fentanyl for other reasons. And we we can talk about what some of those reasons might be. Um but the way that I think about addiction and, and the word that we'll sometimes use in my field is, is the term substance use disorder. Um, the way that I think about substance use disorders, meaning somebody who started to have a problem from their substance use is if their substance use starts to have negative consequences in their life. Right. So, so actually when you, when you sort of, when you said just now, somebody who isn't going to class because they they've had too much to drink. Well, that to me is starting to create problems, right? That's going to impact their grades. That's going to impact their learning. That's going to impact, you know, their healthy development as a college student. And so I would see that as a problem. Granted, it's less of a problem than a young person who struggled so much with alcohol that they've been kicked out of college, right. but it's a problem nonetheless. And I would encourage people to really think about this as a spectrum, right? There are people that can have smaller or milder problems. There are people that have more moderate problems. And then there are people who have severe problems. Yeah. And I think it's so hard to know like when it's a problem and when experimenting and trying to figure these things out, because this is a time I work with lots of college students and, and students in high school too. And they're, and they're, they're just figuring out 
what something is and and if this is a good thing or bad thing. So here's here's my take when it comes to experimenting. I think it is so absolutely frightening that a student, a teenager could experiment one time, one time and accidentally die. And and that's what we're seeing, right? Like is it safe to experiment with drugs and alcohol right now? Right. So this is this is an age-old question in in my field. So I I'm a I'm a doctor that cares for adolescents and young adults and and lots of college students. And um there's this tension in the field and sort of in our society more broadly speaking between um how much experimentation is sort of natural or normal for young people right we know that young brains are still developing um that the adolescent brain and the young adult brain is still sort of working on its checks and balances it's still working um on developing the prefrontal cortex which is a part of the brain that's responsible for planning and behavior and and because of that there's sort of a a predisposition to taking risks or experimenting and that's a lot of this is actually appropriate for adolescents right we want adolescents to take some risks we want them to 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 leave the home and and leave their parents side and move away to college and try new stuff and so that experimentation um in some realms is is good and appropriate and you know some people will even argue that some level of experimentation with drugs and alcohol is you know quote unquote normal um it kind of depends on how you define normal right um I would argue actually that if you look at the national data, most teens and young adults actually don't use substances, right? At least not with any regularity. Most teens and young adults actually don't drink regularly. They don't use nicotine regularly. They don't use cannabis regularly. And so I think we have to sort of like normalize the fact that non-use is actually what the majority of young people, you know, do. Um having said that, we also shouldn't stigmatize or um or or single out people who do experiment because we know that experimentation happens during this age group right so i as a doctor want to make sure that i'm available to everybody that they can come as they are but you're right the the issue here is that it was different when you know 10 20 30 years ago the experimentation that we're talking about is experimentation around alcohol or experimentation around traditional combustible cigarettes or even experimentation around illicit drugs um, that at the time were not legal, but they weren't necessarily lethal, right? So the, the thing that's changed now is that, just as you said, a single experimentation with something that contains fentanyl, which is highly potent and can cause an overdose within minutes and kill a person that that experimentation is now incredibly fraught and incredibly risky. That's what's so frightening because, and I posted an article about a fentanyl overdose. It was a bunch of kids in a basement, like seniors um, in high school. And the parent came down and, you know, there were multiple deaths, multiple overdoses. And there's just a bunch of, there's a bunch of high school grads hanging out in their basements. And I posted something because it was so frightening because these people didn't want to die you know, like they were just having a celebration and experimenting. And then a friend of mine said, I got a, an instant message or a DM from someone who's like, those people were our neighbors. Like, that's my neighbor. Like, we know these people. And then I got another message, another DM from a parent. because I was talking about, I've been talking about fentanyl. I try to put it out there as much as I can and uh, just safety. And then there was another 
you know, I got a couple. One was, you know, a mom saying, you know, please keep sharing this. You know, my son overdosed this year and another one. And it's like, it's everywhere, Scott. It's so scary, man. Like, do you, is, am I, am I overreacting? No, you're not overreacting. And we should talk a little bit about what the, what the data show, because this is a rising and worsening problem across the country. Here's the thing, though, right? Overdoses have been going on for a very long time um, in this country that the overdose death rate has um, has always been present. Yeah. Um, you know, it has been throughout my entire lifespan and, and those that came before me, um, but it really accelerated with the turn of the century. Um, and um for a long time, we didn't pay attention because, again, we stigmatized people um, who live with addiction, and it was predominantly people with addiction who were who were dying of overdoses. Um, and in many cases, it was communities of color that were disproportionately hit um, by overdose deaths. And so, we as a society, for a very long time, turned um, turned a blind eye um, to this problem. Um, but all along, the people that have been dying have been brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, kids to people, right? They they have always been human beings who are loved um, and came from somewhere and left people behind. Um, so that has always been the case. And yet the overdose death rate among young people has more than doubled. So between 2019 and 2021, the number of teenagers across the country that died of overdose doubled. Um, and we're now at a point in the pandemic or in this uh, in this epidemic of overdose deaths where the equivalent to a high school classroom worth of teenagers dies every week of overdoses. And overdoses have now become the third leading cause of death in adolescence in this country, following firearms, which are the number one cause, and motor vehicle crashes, which are the number two cause. And that death rate seems to be rising even further if we look at the most recent data. And the reason that we're talking about fentanyl here is that nine out of 10 of every overdose deaths that happen in adolescents and young adults in this country are caused by fentanyl. So I want people to leave here with an understanding of where is fentanyl found? How dangerous is fentanyl? The questions. And uh, I asked on uh, my Instagram, uh, I asked people, what are some questions that they have for you? And I sent you a couple pages. I have two more pages of questions. So like, like I don't even know if, I, if I'm going to be able to get through. I'm going to try to get through them in our conversation. But then we'll do a speed round where we'll just like, you know, go through these. So we can also take these. And what I'd like to do is not only can people listen to this and watch this in its entirety, but I want to be able to get some quick, quick clips that really can resonate. So. When somebody is contemplating, and the way my brain works is, I just want to ask you one of these questions right now, okay? If someone is hanging out and people are smoking pot, you know, or doing something, something around marijuana, and, um, you know, the thing is, we know marijuana is legal in lots of states, so it's illegal in, in many states, but someone who's sitting around getting high can they be sure that they are doing something that is safe? Great question. Um, cannabis is by and large still safe, relatively speaking, um, in this country, meaning that it has not been found to be laced with fentanyl 
um, with any sort of regularity. Okay. So for the most part, so that's something that's safe. I thought I, I thought I saw someone that said like, like, I, I don't know if I, maybe it was a, a fluke incident, but the safety of, of marijuana. So, so that's, that's interesting. Cause I thought marijuana was something that was like also a high risk, but am, am well, I wrong we, about that in terms of dive- fentanyl overdose? Yeah. I wanted to give you the sort of straightforward answer there. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of different levels we could go to here. Yeah. Um, you know, the first one being that cannabis can be bought from a, from a few different places, right? It can be bought from a dispensary where the quality um, and safety standards are probably higher than if it's bought on the illicit market. Right. Um, and to the extent that we hear about these cases where somebody says they were using cannabis and that they believed it was laced with fentanyl, those stories very often make the news sort of in the immediate aftermath of somebody's overdose. But when people dive in and do more careful investigation afterwards, it's often found that the person actually used something in addition to cannabis that contained fentanyl, and they just didn't say it up front. Um, okay. Because cannabis is a lot easier to sort of admit to using than is you know, a, a counterfeit pill that you might have purchased. And so what often happens in these cases is that the, the idea that their cannabis was laced with fentanyl is actually debunked. Okay. That's really cool. All right. We're going to get to more of these questions because I love these questions. <laughs> I think they're, they're so important, but what I want to do is just have like a baseline education of what is fentanyl? What is a healthy use and an appropriate use? Because I know there's a medical use for fentanyl and where where does this get dangerous and how did it get into this 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 country how is this something that's now a problem so can you give us you know a quick quick bullet point of just how we got here you bet and before i before i jump into this let me give just a little bit of preamble because i think it is so important when i speak as a health professional yeah. to be very balanced in the information that i give and so um, for example, when my patients come to me and they're struggling with cannabis use, I of course make a recommendation that they not use cannabis and I help support them to reduce their cannabis use because substance use carries with it some risk. However, you know, some teens are told by health professionals or, or by other trusted adults, if you keep using cannabis, it's going to kill you. Um, and I think it's really important that young people understand that cannabis, by and large, does not kill somebody unless they, you know, are operating a vehicle, for example. And so I always want to be really realistic about the risks of substance use with young people, because when um, if I'm not, when I need to be serious about the true risk of a substance they're not going to believe me, right? So I can't be hyperbolic or bombastic. I have to be realistic. And so I say that as preamble because I'm about to say a lot of scary facts around fentanyl, and these are true scary facts, okay, just to kind of frame the discussion. So fentanyl is an opioid, and opioids are now um, the leading cause of overdose deaths in, in this country, in the United States. And fentanyl is an opioid that has been around for a very long time, but most recently has started to flood our drug markets, um, our illicit drug markets. Um, fentanyl is highly potent. It's at least 50 times more potent than is heroin, which is an incredibly potent opioid. And because it's so potent, when somebody uses fentanyl, their breathing shuts down pretty quickly. That causes them to um, become pale, uh, get blue, um, their heart can stop, uh, and ultimately um, they reduce their blood flow and oxygen delivery to the brain. And that's how somebody dies of a fentanyl overdose. And it happens within minutes. 
as you mentioned, fentanyl does have medical uses. So fentanyl is a medication that's been around for a long time. In fact, it's commonly used as part of anesthesia. When somebody goes under for surgery, it's a great pain relieving medication. And so it can be very carefully administered and prescribed by a doctor. Um, but the fentanyl that we're seeing right now that's flooded our drug markets is not prescribed by a doctor. It's illicitly manufactured often overseas, either in China or Mexico, and then imported into the US because it's so potent, it's really um, inexpensive for drug dealers to bring into the US. And the reason that um, overdose deaths seem to be rising so quickly in young people right now is that a common place that fentanyl is ending up is in counterfeit pills. So there are pills that are being sold right now and often sold on social media through TikTok, Instagram, Snapchat, um, or just you know being passed around among friends that are made to look like real tablets. They're made to look like oxycodone or oxycontin or Xanax, medications that are pain relievers or anxiety relieving medications, but they're actually illicitly manufactured, they're fake, and what they contain is fentanyl. Um, and the reason that they contain it is that fentanyl is a sedative and pain relieving medication. And so if you're looking for anxiety relief or you're looking for pain relief, it'll provide that, but it's done in such a way that it's got this, you know, sort of, um, high potent opioid in it that can kill you. And, um, the quality standards when these pills are made are just so bad that the amount of fentanyl in one of these pills can be wildly, uh, wildly variable from pill to pill. And so you can use one and it may have a little fentanyl in it, or it may have a lot of fentanyl in it. But unfortunately, most pills that are being sold right now have a lot of fentanyl in it. In fact, the DEA tells us that of the pills that they seized last year, 60% of them contain amount of fentanyl in it that was lethal. So 60% of them. So that, that the part that like I don't understand is if whoever's manufacturing these knows that fentanyl is so potent and that these pills will kill like why don't they just put like you know vitamin you know d or whatever it like some vitamin in it and pack it into a pill like why why is fentanyl they could put so many different things in like i don't get that part well fentanyl is cheap and easy to bring into the country and because it's so highly potent importing it you can import sort of smaller amounts of it to get more total drug into the united states so that's the rationale behind why fentanyl um, the reason that um, so many of them are lethal probably comes down to poor manufacturing and poor quality um, because these are illicitly manufactured pills. And also the fact that many of these pills are not necessarily, you know, sort of made with the idea that they're going to be sold to young people. In many cases, they're being sort of prepared uh, for older populations of people who use drugs who have more tolerance and, and are looking actually in some cases as part of an opioid use disorder, as part of an addiction um, for a more potent opioid. But of course, they've now gotten into the hands of young people and are causing a, a high death rate. So there are people who have a higher tolerance who could take one of these pills and have a safe a safer reaction. They wouldn't be lethal. So is that, am I interpreting that right? Absolutely. That's so interesting. So, so someone who has no exposure to opioids, uh, and then they ingest this, you know, there's, there's a reasonable chance they'll have this, this, this horrible reaction. And then there's other people who have 
addiction and have been taking these for years, legally or illegally, who can take the same pill and not have a lethal reaction. That's right. I don't think I've ever heard that. I mean, I know it's, I'm, I'm not questioning it. I'm like, that's just so interesting because if 60 some percent of pills have fentanyl, like why aren't, I mean, a lot of people are dying from this, but like the idea of any illicit drug having fentanyl, I think that's the part of, okay, what's going to kill you and what's not going to kill you. And how do you know? And how prevalent is it? How prevalent is our pills? So when it comes to any pills that anyone wants to take to experiment, I am like hard and fast. I'm like, don't, don't do pills. Pills can kill. Like do not take pills. That is a, such a dangerous way of experimenting. Would you agree with that? Yeah, that's the central take-home message here. Don't use pills. Um, most of the pills that are available right now on the market that haven't been prescribed by a doctor and haven't been dispensed by a pharmacy contain an amount of fentanyl in them that could be lethal. Right. So for people who are listening to this and they're like, oh, Harlan, you're overreacting. You know, Scott, you're overreacting. Is this an overreaction? Not an overreaction at all. Um, and it's reflected in the numbers that we see nationally. And all you have to do is do a quick Google search to to learn about families who have lost young ones, including college students, um, to a single use of one of these pills resulting in tragedy. Yeah, no pills. So no, <clears throat> so no pills, no pills. Uh, then um, what about like powders? You know, um, if someone wanted to, to uh, you know, cocaine or other powders or meth or whatever they're what are some powder illicit powder drugs? Yeah, so let let's talk about when people are using drugs, right? So, look, I, of course, our recommendation is no pills um, and and no substances because it's an it's just a really fraught, dangerous time for people to be using drugs. And yet, we need to acknowledge that some people, despite our recommendation, despite what we hope for them, will go on to use drugs anyway. So we should talk about how people can keep themselves safe if and when they do it in a second. But to answer yeah. your original question, um, yes. So, so one of the places where we have seen fentanyl contamination of other substances that aren't pills is in the cocaine supply. And so again, if you if you do um, sort of a, a news search or a Google search, you'll see that there have been a number of reports of people who thought that they were using cocaine um, and, and they were using cocaine, but that cocaine was contaminated with fentanyl. And what happens is um, that probably cocaine in some settings is being prepared on the same countertops in the same spaces as fentanyl is being prepared in the illicit drug market. And you just get enough cross-contamination. So somebody who thinks that they're using cocaine inadvertently gets exposed to a small amount of fentanyl, but we know a small amount of fentanyl because it's so potent can actually kill somebody. Right. So those, yeah, I just, I want to drill this in like the, just the dangers of experimentation. Cause I always had this thing of like, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't want to experiment and accidentally die because it's like, that's just so frightening. And I think just as a general rule, like if you're going to experiment, of course, everything you said, you don't want you to experiment, you know, it's much healthier and far safer to not experiment, but don't experiment where you can accidentally die. And what I want to talk about, and it's exactly where I wanted to go is how to use safely. Um, we've got questions about fentanyl strips, uh, testing strips. And then I want to go through Narcan, naloxone, and I want to 
talk about like what I would love to do is to be able to have a conversation with you. So if somebody is listening and they are in a situation where they believe someone is 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 having an overdose response, they can help them and we can make sure that everybody has the equipment they need to help those around them. So let's let's go into that and and I want to make this like man, I want I want to play this everywhere so that when someone is at a party or they're with their friends and they see something, they can understand what to do and how to hopefully save save their lives. Yeah, I agree. I, I think we should take each of those in turn because they're all really important points. So, you know, number one being, how do you recognize and respond to an overdose? Number two, if you are going to use, how do you use in the safest possible way? Um, and then third of all, you know, what is the role of fentanyl test strips? I think we should talk about all three of those because these are key safety things. And I think safety has got to come first. So on that first question, what is, so on that first question, what does an op- opioid overdose look like and how do you respond? We talked a little bit about this before. So somebody who is overdosed on fentanyl or another opioid often will have shallow or labored breathing, or maybe they've stopped breathing altogether. Their skin will look kind of pale and clammy. They might have some bluishness around uh, their lips or in their fingertips, showing that their oxygen levels have dropped and their pulse may have stopped altogether. And often they're unconscious. So those are the signs of an opioid overdose. And this, there, there are a few things that you should do if you see an overdose. The very first thing you should do is call 911. Okay. Because um, if this isn't an overdose, if this is someone in, say, diabetic coma, you want to make sure that medical professionals are coming to, to help the person that, that you're there with, right? Um, and even if you do reverse an overdose, which we'll talk about in a second, that person still needs medical attention. And so you want 911 to come. So first thing you do, you call 911. The second thing you do is ideally you're conta- you're carrying with you naloxone. And naloxone um, goes by the brand name Narcan. Um, if you give me a second, I actually have some just three feet to the right of me in my backpack. Yeah. Can I grab it? Yeah, please. It's great. Scott, he doesn't go anywhere without his Narcan. And I think... One of the things I think is so important is that every, I think every residence hall, you know, every student should have access, should have this in their bag because like, you just don't know. It's not even, and for parents who are like, oh, it's not my kid, but you know what? It's not your kid, but maybe it's your kid's roommate, or maybe it's someone who comes into the room, or maybe they're at a party. This is about being a bystander. And having the tools available to help. And I love that you have it. So can you show us, please? Yeah, that's exactly it. I think of Narcan as being like a fire extinguisher. You always want to have one around just in case the worst happens. But And of course, we don't think fires are going to happen to us. And of course, we want to do everything we can to avoid fires. But if a fire happens, you want to have an extinguisher on hand. And that's how I think about overdoses in Narcan. So um, this is naloxone. Um, This is a generic version of it. This is a nasal spray that um, is almost just like when you have a cold and you take cold medication that you spray up your nose. It's like that. So I I won't open this package just right now because I'd love to keep this one and keep it on hand in my backpack in case I ever want to respond to an overdose and have a fresh kit of it. Um, But you basically would uh, just go up to the person who's overdosing and assuming they're not responsive, just put this little tip up their nose and just push the pump and spray. 
Um, and this will deliver a four milligram dose of naloxone, which is a potent opioid overdose reversal agent. Um, it basically will take any fentanyl that's uh, sitting on the receptors of, in, in a person's brain and causing them to overdose and just kick it off. Um, and uh, saves a life within minutes. Um, again, you still want to call 911. Again, when 911 comes, they will probably have this with them and they will probably administer more of it to a person who's non-responsive. Um, but you can save a life immediately. And I, as a parent of young kids, I've got a five-year-old and a, and a two-year-old at home. Um, I want to have this on hand just in case, you know, they go to the park and they find a pill. Um, or we're at the park and we have a neighbor who's overdosed. You know, it's just so important to have this on hand, we keep this at home in our kitchen drawer. And then I also keep one in my backpack that I carry around with me. So what happens if you suspect someone's having an overdose and you're not sure and you administer Narcan? Is there any risk? No risk. Narcan is a completely safe medication to administer to someone, even if you get it wrong. Even if the person in front of you is in a diabetic coma and you give them Narcan, no harm done. It's a very safe medication. In fact, it's so safe that I was part of an FDA. Um, uh, I, I, I testified to the FDA um, who held a special advisory panel um, back in February to determine if Narcan was so safe that we should just make it available over the counter like so many other medications. Um, and they actually deemed that it is so safe it has basically no side effects to worry about that they decided to make it over the counter. And so sometime in the next couple of months, we expect that you'll be able to buy this over the counter at a pharmacy, at grocery stores, at gas right. stations. Right. And just to timestamp this, right now we're having this conversation in August of 2023, because if someone's watching this in two months, this is available. It's available. And when I was talking to uh, some people about our conversation and posting on social media, some, some people were responding and telling me how they were able to get Narcan through their insurance, through their doctor. Someone talked to me about you know being over the counter already or being able to have access. So I think every parent should make sure that this is something in their first aid kit, in their kid's first aid kit. I think this is something that every, again, every residence hall, every person, every classroom should have this. I mean, it's it's so easy to fix the problem if you have this. And it's so and it seems like it's it's accessible. So Scott, how do people get their hands on Narcan today? The the easiest way and the cheapest way right now is to go into your pharmacy and say, I would like to get Narcan under our state's standing order. So this is a little bit in the weeds, um, but Narcan is technically still right now only available through a doctor's prescription. But because we have this national crisis, what every state across the country has done is created what's known as a standing order, which is basically a, uh, a prescription for Narcan that applies to every single person in the state. Um, such that that person can walk into a pharmacy and just ask for it. If you have health insurance, it's typically covered by your health insurance. If it's like my health insurance and many others health insurance, you actually get it with no copay, meaning that this Narcan, I got a, two of these for a $0 copay through my health insurance. Some people have to pay a small amount. Um, sometimes that copay can be as much as $30. But again, this is such an important investment for families and for young people heading off to college. 
In a couple of months, we anticipate, again, probably in about September or October, maybe November of 2023, Narcan will be available over the counter. You'll be able to walk into stores and buy it. There, because you're paying for it out of, out of pocket, we anticipate the cost will probably be on the order of about 40 to 50 bucks for two of these sprays. So it's not cheap, but it will be easy to get. Um, but these standing orders where you walk into a pharmacy and ask for it is probably going to be the cheapest for most families. Okay. So you just walk into the pharmacy and ask. The other thing is you can ask your doctor to provide mm-hmm. a prescription, correct? That's right. Yep. Okay. And what about health centers? What about like campus health centers? If someone wants to walk into their health center and say, can I please get Narcan? It depends on the school. Some of the most forward-thinking schools that we've seen are actually distributing Narcan on campus. Um, There's a lot of community-based distribution of Narcan, a lot of Narcan that's available just sort of for handing out. Again, that just speaks to how effective and safe this medication is that, I mean, what other medication do we just pass around, right? Um, But this one is so effective and so safe and so critical right now that we do that. And so, yes, many schools do have it, but not every school does. So I would not count on that. I would encourage parents to make sure that their teens and young adults are going off to college with this to keep in their dorm rooms. Right. So they'll have it. And I think having one in a car, you know, it's mm-hmm. like just having the kid know that there's in the, that it's in the car. And again, it's for the parents who, who are like, you know, you're endorsing drug use. This is not about endorsing anything. This is about promoting safety and making sure that your child, because I, I, Scott, this happens to me when I talk about sensitive issues. You know, the idea of talking about sensitive issues doesn't mean that you're promoting a particular behavior. It means that you're promoting awareness. So, and this is this is how I like to frame it, so that your child can make choices in alignment with their values and be able to help others to make those choices. And if someone makes a choice that's different than your child's choice or someone else's choice. It's just they're they're just making a different choice. And we want to make sure that the outcome of those choices isn't catastrophic. And we want to be just kind, loving bystanders, bystanders. So I completely agree with everything you said. And I will add to that that when studies have been done of these public health issues that that you're sort of alluding to here. So let me give you an example. When, um, you know, in the in the 90s, when there were a lot of conversations around, should we put condoms in schools, um, in school bathrooms, so that teens, when they have sex, will do so responsibly and safely um, to prevent STDs and HIV? Um, there was huge backlash, right? People said, well, if you do that, teens will have more sex. Um, that didn't happen. Uh, the HPV vaccine, which prevents against human papillomavirus, genital warts and cervical cancer and penile cancer. Um, people said, if you give that vaccine to young people, they'll go out and have un- more, more, more unprotected sex. They didn't. Um, when people wanted to put seatbelts in cars, right. um, when, when that was first uh, sort of introduced, um, people said, well, people will drive more recklessly if you put seatbelts in cars. And of course, the idea that people now drive more recklessly because they wear seatbelts is absurd. Um, But this is constantly what happened. People think that if we tell people how to do something safely, they'll do more of it. And that's just not what what comes to pass. Yeah, I I just think that's so important because what's what's crazy about all this is when I post a video on TikTok and I talk about alcohol or I talk about fentanyl or I use the word sex or I, I mean, it can get it can get taken down. It's gotten taken down like like the idea that being an educator, being someone who wants to have healthy conversations, 
is something that is red. It's flagged. Um, I think that's what's so scary. So I want to make sure I want to make sure that I can create as many ways for people to get this information. Like, really, this is like, you know, we'll save lives because I, I, I don't think it's it's going to it seems like it's going to get worse before it's going to get better, which is kind of a really sad reality. I don't know if you agree with that. Um, you know, wh- where do you think things are in terms of of exposure and risk? Well, we don't we don't have to guess. We already know. I mean, we have the the latest data from the CDC, and they tell us that overdose deaths have continued to rise among young people. Okay, so I have these questions, and I want to do like a, a speed round for the next you know 10, 15 minutes, however however much time we can get through these, and, and how much time I have with you. And if we need to do more, like you know, if anyone's listening to this and watching, and you have more questions for Scott, um, could we potentially do a part two? To just, you, you know, and this is for the students who are too afraid to ask questions. You can ask me questions and I will not identify who you are, right? Like you can ask me, and this is a safe space to do this. And, uh, you know, Dr. Hadlin, you know, what he does and what you do, I mean, I'm talking about you, but I'm talking to people who are watching and listening is, you know, your doctor isn't going to judge you. And if your doctor does judge you, get a different doctor. Right. Like you need to be able to have someone in your corner who you can talk to about the things that you are thinking about doing or have done, who's going to listen and say, okay, how can we make sure that you're safe? Right. How can we make sure you're safe? And and we don't always have those. Most people don't have those people. So hopefully they'll have it through their health center, they'll have it through their doctor. And if you have a doctor who has been treating you since you were like six and knows the family and you're uncomfortable. And get a different doctor, right? Like what at what age does someone I don't know? I'm going down a rabbit hole, Scott. Okay. I gotta stop talking because you're here and I can I can do this with you not being here. Okay. Let's dig it. Hey, before I, I get into the question, and uh I'm curious, is there a question? Are there a few questions during our speed round that you like to answer that come up frequently? Yeah, I, I think we should still touch on um if you are gonna use. Oh yeah. Or another drug. How do you do so safely? And then fentanyl test strips. And I think fentanyl test strips will probably come up in the questions because they always do. Yeah. That was, that was one of them, but yes, please talk about how to be safe. Yeah. I mean, I think the the safety recommendations are are pretty straightforward um, and and actually have a lot of common sense, right? Again, we recommend you don't use pills, but if you are going to use pills or something that might have fentanyl in it, here's what you need to do. You need to make sure, first of all, that you don't use alone. You want to have someone with you that can call 911 in the event of an overdose. And you want to make sure that you have Narcan with you, right? That that person can administer Narcan if you overdose. The next thing you want to do is make sure that you start with a small amount, right? So if you're going to use a pill, don't take the whole thing all at once. Break it up. Break it up into half or even better, break it up into a quarter. Try a small amount and see how you respond to it. If it's really potent, then you'll have saved yourself from potentially overdosing on a full tablet by just using half or a quarter. The last thing you want to make sure that you do is you don't mix it with other stuff. So uh, opioids are sedatives. Fentanyl is a sedative. And so if you mix it with other sedating substances like alcohol or there are other you know, sedating medications like Xanax, um, uh, benzodiazepines um, that uh, that sort of uh, can compound or sort of worsen your risk for overdose if you mix them with fentanyl. You want to make sure that you're not doing that mixing. How do you know if you have taken a pill if you are having a fentanyl reaction? 
Well, I mean, again, you should assume that any pill that you're going to use that you haven't seen directly be prescribed by a doctor and directly do be dispensed by a pharmacy, you should assume that that pill contains fentanyl in it. And so you don't have to guess whether you're having a fentanyl reaction or not. You basically are in this era. I, I guess the question is, what's the difference between someone who is taking MDMA and, and, and is having a, you know, a response that's appropriate versus a response that could be uh, deemed dangerous? So that's a great question. So you want to look for the signs and symptoms of an opioid overdose. So somebody will start to, um, they might start to look a little bit tired or sleepy, like they're going to pass out. They may actually pass out. Again, their breathing might slow. They might, might start to turn pale or blue around the lips. Um, and, and those are all signs that somebody is responding in a way that might be an opioid overdose. And I'm also speaking to a question of someone asking, how do I know if I'm having a overdose? How do I know if, 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 if I've ingested something that has, and we know that the assumption is it does have fentanyl, but the difference between the user having a typical response versus an atypical dangerous response. Yeah. If the level of sort of like fatigue, lethargy, sleepiness setting in, or you, you feel like you're about to lose consciousness or faint, that's a sign. Um, and again, this is why it's so important to use around other people because then you've got somebody else that can respond and make sure that you're safe in that moment. Um, but if you're alone and that happens, you want to make sure that you reach out and call someone right away. If there's someone else in the house, let them know right away. Again, the idea here is to have somebody else who can be responsible for you if you lose consciousness. Does a user know when they're having an overdose reaction? Um, again, you know, they, they will if they feel like they're getting excessively sleepy. That's going to be the thing that they most notice is, oh, wow, you know, I feel like I'm about to fall asleep. Okay. So that's a red flag. If And you could even, can you self-administer Narcan? You can absolutely self-administer Narcan. Again, what's a little bit tricky is that fentanyl overdoses happen pretty quickly, right? They happen in the order of minutes. And so you need to be able to act quickly um, if you've been exposed. When you say fentanyl overdoses can happen in a matter of minutes, are we talking fewer than five minutes? Are we talking 10 minutes? You know, it really depends on the route of administration. Um, and so uh, fentanyl, you know, let's talk about a counterfeit pill, for example. A pill could be swallowed. And if somebody swallows a pill, it takes time for the stomach to digest it and for that pill to be absorbed. And so you're actually going to have quite a bit of a delay, maybe on the order of, um, you know, 10, 20, 30 minutes before you start to feel the um, the effects of that fentanyl. Um, what many people will do is they'll grind up a tablet and then they'll um, snort it. They'll they'll take it intranasally. And that route of administration is really quick. Um, turns out that that fentanyl will enter your bloodstream um, immediately. Um, it can cause a really quick effect. And, and then of course, some people will inject um, drugs as well. And that's another very rapid onset of effect. And, and so injecting or snorting fentanyl will result in an overdose within just a few minutes. A lot of people are concerned about accidental exposure and, and, and ingesting, uh, as soon as I try to use the medical word, <laughs> ingest, ingestation, I know, I know it's not ingestation, but when it comes to, when it comes to, uh, fentanyl exposure, people are concerned that they could be exposed touching 
a dollar bill, uh, you know, having it be on food or, you know, explain to us how, how does one, how does one, uh, what are the risks of of fentanyl exposure through everyday life? Yeah. Let me debunk that because, um, this is a thing you'll read about a lot in the news. This is one of those things that gets a lot of attention, but on further investigation, um, something else is going on. And so you cannot overdose just by touching fentanyl. Fentanyl has to go in through again, sort of like your nasal passages or be swallowed. Um, or injected into the bloodstream uh, in order for it to have an effect, just touching something doesn't work. Fentanyl can't be absorbed through the skin. And so um, just sort of casually encountering fentanyl, touching fentanyl is not going to do anything at all. Some people even worry about fentanyl sort of like clouds of dust. You know, if you were to walk into a room where I don't know, there was some dust around and somehow that dust got agitated. Um, even then it would take in an enormous amount of that dust to actually cause an overdose. You really need to be delivering fentanyl directly um, into the nose, into the lungs, um, into the bloodstream in large, you know, relatively large quantities, meaning like a full tablet's worth um, to be causing an overdose. A, pa- a casual sort of interaction is not going to do it. Okay. Um, are fentanyl test strips effective and how do I use them? Fentanyl test strips are really interesting. Um, we, uh, I, I offer them to my patients and I talk them through how to use them. Um, it, they're a little bit tricky though, right? I've just, you and I've just had this entire conversation around the fact that any pill that's out there right now should be presumed to contain fentanyl at a lethal dose, right? So in my mind, it becomes a little bit difficult to to recommend routinely fentanyl test strips to people because the the teaching really should be that any pill that you use that isn't prescribed by a doctor or dispensed by a pharmacy has fentanyl in it. and, And you need to know that. And so if you test it, you're just reconfirming something that, you know, you already know to be true. Um, where I think fentanyl test strips can be really helpful is if you're somebody who's using cocaine, for example, and you want to see if your co- you want to make sure that your cocaine doesn't contain fentanyl, then that's a great moment for you to use a fentanyl test strip and make sure that you're not going to be exposed. Um, and then, of course, you know, I, I think some people do just sort of like want to understand pills that they may be taking and may want to go ahead and test them anyway. And so I certainly use fentanyl test strips as a way for me and my patients to have a conversation about safety so that they can understand how these are used. But again, pills should be presumed to have fentanyl in them. Okay. And I got many questions on, can you get into your system by touching a dollar bill? We were very clear. You're not going to get fentanyl into your system by, by touching or even walking through it. You said walking through a cloud. Correct. Um, It has to be intentional and, and there has to be a delivery method where you're going to get a substantial dose it sounds like right right um or a substantial substantial exposure um okay how can i test my weed products Hmm. again fentanyl test strips would be a great way to do this um again i want to reassure folks that uh, you know cannabis contamination with fentanyl just really has not happened with any regularity in this country to date that may change if you want to test your weed products what you would do is use a fentanyl test strip. And we should talk, I can talk for a few seconds about what you actually do. So you take a small amount of the substance that you're thinking about using. So this would be a small amount of your cannabis product. You dissolve it in a small amount of water or to the best of your ability, kind of mix it together. And then a fentanyl test strip, you just kind of dip into that water into which you sort of dissolved a small amount of your drug. And it's kind of like a COVID test, right? We got used to the idea during COVID that 
one stripe means negative and two stripes um, on your test strip mean it's positive. It's the same thing for a fentanyl test strip. If you've got two stripes on your fentanyl test strip, that means that the product that you're about to use contains fentanyl. Okay. As a parent, should I provide Narcan to my college student in case she's confronted by a OD? Yes. And again, it's it's not just necessarily their overdose, but it might be somebody else in their dorm and they could save a life. What is considered a lethal dose and how can you die from it? Lethal doses of fentanyl vary from person to person because some people may have a tolerance to opioids. Others may have no tolerance at all. Um, we should presume that the amount of fentanyl in any counterfeit pill that somebody is about to use is potentially lethal. Okay. We answered the question, but I want to just make it a clean answer for, for someone. When will Narcan be available over the counter? We were expecting it right about now. It seems that there are some delays from the drug manufacturer. I'm anticipating that we should see it. I'm hoping October of 2023. Okay. As an RN, have you had a parent deny their child fentanyl emergent for severe bone fracture? Sure, absolutely. There are a lot of people who um, come into emergency departments, um, have a severe injury like a like a bone fracture, and say, "I don't want opioids," because they've heard about the national opioid overdose crisis, and say, "I don't want that." Um, I'll say this: um, opioids are safe when prescribed by doctors in appropriate quantities for appropriate periods of time, and and typically don't carry risk for addiction for small amounts of time in small quantities. Okay. Son's 15-year-old BFF OD'd in December and has had no follow-up care post-hospitalization resources. So we're just looking for resources, not only for those who have recovered, but those who have friends and family and loved ones who have been impacted. Yeah. The tragic the tragic truth of our healthcare system is that finding treatment for someone who has either overdosed or is struggling with addiction um, is really limited. Um, I would start with your doctor. Um, doctors often have solutions um, to the extent that they don't. There's also a national treatment database called the Treatment Locator. And so if you go to findtreatment.gov, it's a Google search or Google map search engine driven platform where you can put in the types of treatment that you're looking for, the age of the person that you're looking for treatment for, put in your address and then see what resources are in your area. Okay. Um, as a parent, how do you recommend I talk to my child about this to support them and keep them safe? Yeah, I think parents need to, I think we all need to send the message that um, counterfeit pills and, and substance use is, is, is not safe, right? And counterfeit pills in particular can kill you. Um, and that we recommend that young people don't use them. And, and more broadly speaking, um, don't use substances or at least minimize their substance use. Um, at the same time, we should send the message that we want to make sure that to the extent that somebody does, that they do so safe. And, and so to do so safely, I would really recommend parents talk to their uh, to their teens to their young adults about um, making sure that they don't use alone that um, other people don't use alone to make sure that there's someone to call 911 that they do call 911 and that they administer naloxone or, or narcan and in, um, in the case that somebody does overdose so you have to send those two messages at the same time yeah yeah well i i think that you you uh, express that 
you know, in such a balanced way. I mean, we don't want you to do this, but be, I, I like to say it's be smart about being stupid. You know, don't be so stupid that you accidentally die. And mm-hmm. I mean, that's like a very, you know, t- it's a very casual way of discussing it. But in, in my book, that's how I say it. Like, just be smart about being stupid because you want to be around tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And, um, but then the word stupid, I just like, you know, that that's kind of over time. I'm like, you know, I don't even want to judge somebody. Um, be, I just want to keep them safe. Um, what do people think they're buying when they end up with a fentanyl laced pill? It depends. In some cases, um, people knowingly seek out counterfeit pills. Um, I think this happens more among um, adults who might use more heavily. Um, they may actually be purposefully seeking out fentanyl, knowing that it's potent, and they may be struggling with addiction. And, and that's the opioid that they're looking for as part of their addiction. In young people, what's often happening is that they think that they're buying something else, right? They think that they're buying an oxycodone or oxycontin tablet, which are painkillers, or they think that they're buying Xanax, which is an anti-anxiety medication. And so if you're struggling with pain or anxiety or depression, you might turn to one of these pills thinking that you're getting some form of treatment, but you're not, you're getting fentanyl. Someone has a question about, you know, if I am on prescription drugs and I drink one or two drinks, is that still dangerous or will I be okay? Well, it really depends on what the prescription medication is. And so I would encourage people to talk to their doctors about this one because there are, you know, again, I want to be realistic and balanced here. There are some medications that are perfectly safe to drink alcohol on, and then there are others that aren't. Um, And uh, it, it really comes down to the specific medication. And so people should talk to their doctors. Right. And I think antidepressants was something that I think people have to be really careful of, you know, mixing, mixing those types of drugs uh, with alcohol, your prescription drugs with alcohol. Is that correct? Again, it depends on which antidepressant it is. Right. Right. So we don't want to make general, you should just talk to talk to your doctor. And then you, Scott, like, I know you do this and you're so passionate about doing this and, and I'm so grateful that you can be here. And, um, you know, I just want to understand for you, and and we're gonna we're gonna wrap things up. But as a closing message, you know why why is this so important to you, and and how how do you think this is going to to end in terms of this this problem we have? Yeah, I, I come at this not just as a pediatrician, but also as a dad. I've got two young kids, and again, I'm just I'm so cognizant of the fact that every time um, someone dies of an overdose. That is someone's child, that's someone's brother or sister, that's someone's parent, aunt, uncle, grandparent, um, that everybody who dies is is, is someone who's loved. Um, and so I come at this from that standpoint, that um, every action that I try to take is with that lens of trying to prevent someone from losing someone else that they love. Um, how do we get out of this? Look, the numbers are getting worse. And so I... I, I um, there are a lot of reasons to be pessimistic and a lot of reasons for me to keep fighting and for all of us to keep fighting and spreading messages of safety and love around. Um, but there's also a lot of reason for optimism. I mean, we know what tools work here, right? We have life-saving Narcan that we can get into the hands of people um, to make sure that we're able to address overdose. We can teach people how to do it. Um, we can empower people to save lives. That's key. 
for people who are struggling with addiction, we can get them treatment. We have evidence-based effective treatments for people who are struggling with opioid addiction. I do this in my practice all the time. I help treat young people who are working through this issue. And I've seen lives turn around. I've seen people um, do complete 180s um, after getting treated for opioid addiction. So there's a lot of reasons to be hopeful here. We know what works. We just need to do it. That's wonderful. I'm I'm so grateful for your time, for your insight, for what you've shared here. And I'm going to do everything I can to get this out to everyone because I want them to hear it. They need to hear it. And I, I hope, I hope we can, I hope we can save some lives and, and, and get, get people the resources they need. If people want to follow you, stay in touch, understand the latest information, what's, what's the best way for them to continue a relationship with you? Yeah, I'm on all the social media platforms. I'm at Dr. Scott Hadland. That's at Dr. Scott Hadland, um, and that's uh, Instagram, um, uh, Twitter, all all the platforms. I am not yet on TikTok. Um, that's the one place you won't find me. <laughs> all right. Well, there's lots of places to find you, and we're going to continue this conversation and relationship. If if anyone has questions, if you want to talk more about this, let me know because um, I'd love to be able to continue to provide this information and you're, you're fantastic and it's fun to talk to you and hope you're cool. I like, I called you man at one point, I got a little too casual, but, um, you know, but I think you're just so easy to talk to. So well, I appreciate um, that. It's a, it's an honor and a pleasure to get to talk about this with you today. Thanks Scott. And for everybody listening, please interact. Let me know your questions. What can we do stories you want to share? Uh, let's together as a community help to save some lives. So Thanks so much for being here, Scott. Grateful. And for everyone listening and watching, thank you so much for being here.